Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Last week we were talking, uh, I, I didn't, Ben reaches out to me on Sunday afternoon. He says, what's the title of your message? Because I'm not one of those guys that uh, prepares series in advance. Uh, you know, I know guys that, man, they know what they're going to preach in six months and they've got all their notes laid out. Hey, me. That's, that's never going to happen with me. Pastor Callaway, my predecessor, he was the pastor 21 years ago, and uh, he used to tell me, he'd say, Dave, you know God can speak to you just as clearly three weeks in advance as he can Sunday morning. And I'd say, yes, sir, I know that. Just not the way we roll, me and Jesus. And uh, I, I read and study all the time, but I'm just trying to lean in the closer we get to Sunday morning. God, what do you have for us? And, uh, and it's easy. Once you hit a series, well, then you just mine that out until you're done. The real struggle is discovering the new series. That's where I'm at. Uh, and I don't want to launch into anything, uh, a new subject, because uh, next week we're going to have this conference. And so uh, last week, we were, Ben reached out to me and said, what do, you, what do you want to call your message today? I said, I don't know, musings from Israel. And uh, so that's what we called it. That's kind of a safe one, because you can just kind of put everything under that umbrella. Uh, but what I was really meditating on the last few days uh, and it was interesting, one of, the, one of the youth came up to me this morning during worship. Uh, I think she's, man, 12, 13 years old. How, how old? 11, 11 years old. And she came up and she said, Pastor, uh, I, know, I know I'm young and this may not make much sense, but I feel like the Lord was speaking to me about the picture on the back of the screen. And she said, I feel like those, pic- those, those colors are like... We, we go into God's purpose, but some people fade out and they don't reach God's purpose. And I told her, I said, well, you know what I'm preaching on this morning? Finding your purpose. So, and she was, she was happy and so was I. So, yeah, little kids don't get a junior Holy Ghost. Amen. So that's what I want to talk about. I kind of want to spring off of something we touched on last week. When we were looking last week at the life of David, one of the things we were talking about is that interesting little verse in 2 Samuel chapter 5. It says that David, the King James Version puts it this way, David perceived that the Lord had made him king for the people of Israel. Now some people read that and think, wow, it just dawned on him. That's not what he's saying. It was he was perceiving the purpose of his anointing. He had ascended to a place of great privilege. As the king of Israel, David had great privilege. But what he needed to do is perceive why he had been brought to that position. And you can be, you can be in the place of God's appointing, but not understand why and not be able to leverage it. And so we need to perceive the purpose of God's hand upon our life. And so I wanna, I wanna unpack that a little more this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would provoke us this morning. Lord, that God, that this message would be the launch codes to the fire of God in people's hearts Lord, that you would ignite them. You would unleash passion in Jesus' name. Amen. If you go on our website, we have uh, our vision and our values and our church structure and all that. And I encourage you to go on there sometime. Uh, It also has our leadership, you know, the different elders. And some of you have said, I don't even know who the elders are. If you go to the website, heartlandchurchonline.com, uh, just go under leadership and you can see who the elders are and, and the way, you know, the role of different, the different leadership teams and so forth. But amongst that, you'll see the heart of Heartland, the core values of Heartland culture. Uh, and then you can click on there. It says the five values of Heartland culture. There's an audio recording. I, uh, we, we taught on this a number of years ago when we really kind of distilled those things down. Uh, and so, I want to unpack some of those this morning, but really focus on number two. And I'm just going to run through them very quickly, and then I'm going to kind of elaborate on them because they're all connected. And uh, this, is not, uh, th- this is not just, oh, that's a nice thing to place on the website. Let, let me just put it this way, that when people talk about core values, often 
They're not really the core values of the organization. That's true of churches. That's true of businesses. Uh, a lot of times what we're really talking about when we talk about values is we're talking about aspirational values. They're saying these are the things we aspire to. These are the things we wish were true, but they're not the things that are really true. Uh, the things that are really true are going to be showing up in the culture already. If they are core values, they're already showing up. Now, the reason a lot of times when people talk about values, they end up talking about aspirational values rather than actual values is because actual values are somewhat elusive. They're so much a part of who we are and our fabric and our drives and our passions, so much so that at times we will minimize the value of those things and we assume that everybody shares those values. It's kind of like talking to a fish about water. The fish is like, globe, globe, what's that? They, it's, they're, they're so immersed in it, they have never really thought about what water is. And often our values are such a part of who we are, we often don't really think about our values. And so therefore what we do is we end up identifying with our weaknesses and adopt aspirational values to solve the weaknesses rather than owning our strengths and allowing that to be our passion. Does that make sense? So here's the danger of that. If you invest your life on your weaknesses, you will never reach your potential. I would even propose to you that there are some weaknesses. I'm not talking about moral weaknesses. I'm talking about skill sets. For instance, let me use myself as an example. God will never call me to be a mathematician. Okay, ain't gonna happen. I don't care how much, they could have sat me down as a little five-year-old David and said, David, you can be whatever you wanna be. Just dream big, and whatever you wanna be, you can be it, and it ain't gonna happen. Because little David stunk at math. Big David, uh, I just work around it. I'm not a math guy, okay? I was a language guy. I was, when it came to math, I was a solid D student my whole life. Okay? Now, part of that is I didn't listen. I admit. Okay? But even as a little boy, I remember my, salt, my, my report cards would come back, and I was never, uh, until I got to Bible school, I didn't, let's put it this way, I wasn't a, uh, I didn't overperform. Okay? But when it would come to language, I remember as a fourth grader, they gave, we took Minnesota basic skills, and it came back and it said that my vocabulary was 12th grade, and I was fourth grade. It's because I was just made to be a language guy. My kids are that way. My kids are all writers, and, and they just, they're language people. Their mom's like that. So we uh, pray for my children when it comes to math. Let's just pray right now, Father. <laughs> because they didn't inherit that from either one of their parents. Now, I could spend the next 40 years really trying to, to study math. But I would propose to you that my design determines my purpose. That God designed me with certain strengths that match what I'm called to. Now, when we first start out in life, yeah, we, we're kind of figuring things out and we need to strengthen some of those weaknesses because I need to be able to do basic addition and, well, now I got an iPhone. I didn't even need to do that. But, you know, we, there are certain things we need to learn, but in actuality, God calls us to shine in the area of our strengths. There's the book called Strength Finders. Anybody ever heard of that book? And the premise of that is really, they're saying what I just said, that there's a fallacy in the Western culture that tells people you can be anything you're called to, you want to be, and it's not true. We need to build on our strengths and not waste our time always working on our weaknesses. And again, I'm not talking about moral weaknesses. That's a different thing. I'm talking about skill sets. And so God has given you certain strengths, and as you discover those strengths, they are an indication of what God has called you to do. So let's look at our five values of heart and culture. Because these are values that show up in the culture. It's not aspirational values. There are aspirational values we have adopted at times as a church. And we said, you know what? This is a, aspirational values are things you say, these are things necessary for me to learn so that I can accomplish what God has on my life. Their weaknesses are not things I'm a natural at, but we need to go after that. They're, that's true of us as individuals, and it's definitely true of us in organizations. So when we talk about culture, you know, we, we throw that term around. What is culture? 
Culture is the sum total of your values lived out. Or you could put it conversely, values, core values, when people use that terminology, in reality, values are culture dissected. When we look at what, what is the flavor, what is the social fabric, what, what do you run into when you step into a church? Every church has its own culture. Every family has its own culture. Every business has its own culture. And part of what resonates with you when you walk into one church and fails to resonate with you in another church is not so much even the doctrine, but it's the culture. Because there's something within you that when you walk in there, you feel this, and it's like, I don't know that I can put this into words, but I just bumped into something that I'm identifying with. And then you hear them begin to talk, and you're saying, they're putting into words what my heart has burned for for years. And what you're touching on is what we call culture. And the culture is, it's the sum total of the values. And so God puts certain passions or certain values within us that we're hungry for, and that's part of the way that we find the tribe of people we're to run with. I think we talked about it last week. It's been some time in the last few weeks. Uh, we, we talked about that, that whole idea, again, of finding your tribe. The promised land in the Old Testament, the promised land was given to Israel. One nation, but many tribes. And their portion of the promised land was allocated according to their tribal affiliation. And I think there's a real good lesson there for you and I that as we begin to understand our tribal affiliation, what has God already put within you that he wants to give expression to in this hour of human history? Part of that is going to connect you to other believers. And so it's very important that we understand what are our values. What is it that burns within us? It's, it, there are times where we have desires that are burning within us, but we've never articulated them. And it's good for us to become very conscious about what those things are because those things begin to really bring into clarity what God has called us to do. And so that's kind of behind what I'm talking about this morning. Now, our five core values, and of course, I'm a teacher, so they all start with P, okay? Uh, Number one, presence. The presence of God is our primary focus that we are a presence-based church and we are hungry for the presence of God. And it's not just so that we can consume God's presence. There is that element of, hey, I enjoy the presence of God. But the presence of God is our worship. Pastor Kara said it this morning. She said, we are most fulfilled, or God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with him. And so the only place you're really going to discover who you are is in the presence of God. When you get in God's presence, in God, you begin to encounter your creator. You can do that through the word. You can do that through his presence uh, coming upon you. You can do that in corporate worship. But in those environments, you begin to understand who you are. We've talked about this many, many times. But you'll hear this again and again because I firmly believe the primary foundation to life, to ministry, to emotional and spiritual health is two things. Number one, your theology having a proper view of who God is, and number two, your identity, having a proper view of who you are. When you see God for who he is, only then can you see yourself for who you are. You'll never understand yourself outside of God. The tragedy of the human race is that we've been severed from our creator through sin, and we grope around trying to find meaning. One of the most tragic books in the Bible is the book of Ecclesiastes. There's three books that, the, that King Solomon wrote. The Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs. It is, the, it is an allegory of a passionate love between man and his God. 
between God, Christ and his church. It's a beautiful, it's, it, there's also a literal meaning. You can teach on marriage from it and so forth, but it is a passionate allegory, a metaphor of man's relationship with God. There's also Proverbs. Solomon wrote much of the Proverbs, and it's a book of wisdom because when you begin to encounter God in intimacy, you begin to learn things, and wisdom begins to be embedded in your life. And Solomon became the wisest man that ever lived. And he, he came to that out of an encounter with God. It was an event, not a process with Solomon. He went to bed, not the wisest man in the world, and through a dream encountered God and asked for wisdom and woke up the wisest man that ever lived. But the third book that Solomon wrote was the book of Ecclesiastes. And it is a tragic book. It's the story of a brilliant man who lost touch with God. And so you see this phrase again and again throughout the book. And you'll never understand the book of Ecclesiastes. As a matter of fact, if you really read it, you'll scratch your head and wonder, why did God include this in the Bible? It is depressing. Anybody ever read that and thought it's depressing? Everything is meaningless under the sun. You work all your life to accumulate wealth so your kids can squander it in two years. Everything is, I mean, that's depressing stuff. But the key phrase is, under the sun. And it's what philosophers call a closed system. In other words, you're trying to find meaning in a closed system. You don't look above the sun. You don't look outside of creation. You look around creation and try to find meaning. And the only way that we're going to infuse the mundane of life with meaning, ultimate meaning, is by looking beyond the sun, outside the system, because only there do we find purpose. That is true of us as individuals, and that's true of the grander themes of humanity. We're never going to find meaning outside of God. Everything is meaningless under the sun. You've got to look beyond the sun to find meaning. And so the presence of God is our primary purpose. And we, we talk about both encounter and intimacy. There's both an event and a process. I'm a firm believer in encounters with God, that God can encounter you, that the God of heaven wishes to make himself known. It's not just some distant deity that we study about in a dusty book and then we hope to one day meet him. God wants to reveal himself to you in an intimate way here and now. God wants to reveal himself through encounters, through visions and dreams and speaking to you, where you feel his manifest presence, where you hear his voice, where God's, God ministers to your spirit. That is the God of the Bible. That, that type of communication and encounter is not something relegated to the book, to history. It's a present-day possibility for you now. And the way you access those encounters is through the key of hunger. He who hungers and thirsts shall be filled. God is too good a steward to invest that level of revelation of himself to those who are not hungry for it. And so if you hunger and thirst, if you seek him, you shall find him. And God longs to reveal himself through encounter. But there's also this thing of intimacy with God. And that is, a that is a lifelong process that we develop with God. And that needs to be the foundation of everything. That is, that is the foundation stone of the Christian life. Jesus came to reconcile you to the Father. Not so that you can access the Father someday when you're dead, but so that you can access him today that you can have a personal relationship with him now. And so the presence of God is our primary pursuit. Out of those values comes practice. If we really believe something, it will determine our behavior. So the reason we worship for an extended amount of time is not because we're really into music. I, you know, I'm a cheapskate. I don't buy music. I, I hardly have any music on my phone. I have a lot of books, but very little music. It's not, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a person that loves music so much that, now my, my little brother, he has, I used to let him buy the music and then I would borrow his CDs, you know, because uh, I'm a cheapskate and I'd let him do that. Now everything's digitized. It's not that 
we're into music, it's because we want his presence and we realize that God inhabits the praise of his people. Worship is a means to an end and not, a, not an end in itself. And so the presence of God is our primary pursuit. The second value, core value that we have is purpose. So let me just run through these. Presence, purpose, passion, power, and principle. I want to unpack that. Presence is encounter and intimacy. Purpose is both in identity and intentionality. We've got to discover who we are so that we can live an intentional life. Number three is passion or wholeheartedness. We just call it passion because it starts with a P. You could say it's wholeheartedness, but it just doesn't sound as good. Uh, and passion is, has to do with sacrifice and enjoyment. And both of those have to be a reality in our life. Passion is not just about enjoying him. I'm passionate about that. When we say that, we mean we enjoy that thing. But if you're really passionate about something, you will be willing to sacrifice to seize that thing. And there's a, there's a sacrificial element to the Christian life that perhaps we'll get into another time when we unpack more of these values. Number four is power. And that's for both effectiveness and empowerment. There's an internal power for living the Christian life and overcoming the, our prior life, there's an empowerment, but also there's an external power for effectiveness so that we can give it away. And both of those are valid and both of those need to be part of the Christian life. There are movements that, re that really talk about power as power to overcome sin. There's others that talk about power for ministry. Which one's right? Uh-huh. We need both. And then number four, uh, principle. We want to base everything in the Word of God. It's a dangerous thing to talk about spiritual encounters and spiritual phenomena without rooting it in the book. We need to, we need to be people of the book. That You can put it this way, that the Word of God is the language of the Spirit. The more you know the Word, the more God can speak to you. If you don't build your vocabulary, then the level, of the level of communication you'll have with God is Gucci, Gucci, Goo. You can talk, baby talk with God, but if you really want to grow in your relationship with God, you need to know the language of the book. The book is the vocabulary of the Spirit. And the more you know of God's word, the more you're going to know of his ways. And when you understand God's ways, you can cooperate with him. And if you don't know God's ways, you can experience God, but you'll stand wondering what's he, what he's about to do. And God wants to bring us into his ways. He wants us to cooperate with him. Christianity is not just something that happens to us. It's something we cooperate with. We partner with heaven. And so we need to be people of the book. We need to learn, uh, we, we need to learn the word of God. And, and really there's, there's two ways that we come into the, the principle of God's word. There is revelation and there's academic study. Okay? Revelation is a valid principle in the Bible. The Apostle Paul prayed this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. He prayed that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What's the difference between revelation and study? Revelation is God breaks in and gives you sudden awareness, sudden insight to something you didn't previously understand. It's an event. God shows you something. And then you backfill that with the word. There are times that the Lord has spoken to me and I've told the Lord, I said, God, I know that was you, but I can't preach on that until you give me word to back that up. I'm not gonna share that with anybody else unless you show me this in your word. And so I would go on a journey of God teaching me about the thing he spoke to me about. That's revelation. And that's not isolated by any means to people who preach the word. God longs for all of us to come into a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That is our blood-bought heritage. The Spirit of God is a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And he wants, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit, one like unto myself, who will lead you into all truth. 
And the two primary ways the Spirit of God does that is through revelation. He starts with the truth and then unpacks it. Or through study. You begin to get into the Word and you study yourself into conclusions. Revelation, you start with a conclusion and you backfill it. Study, you study yourself into conclusions through interacting with the Word. And God will never isolate you to one or the other. Both are disciplines that we need to uh, practice. There's, we need to uh, position ourselves for revelation. There's things that we can do so that God will reveal himself to us. Which is a whole nother Sunday. But let me just throw out a couple little nuggets here, okay? One of the keys to revelation is hunger. If you are not hungry for truth, it will be a rare thing for God to give it to you. Because it's too valuable. God longs to share his heart, but there has to be an internal value system that will treasure those things. God longs to reveal himself, but you have to have a value system so that you can steward it once he gives it to you. So hunger is a key. They who hunger and thirst shall be filled. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. He's talking about a a hungry pursuit of God. Number two, purity of heart. There are people that are hungry for God but for the wrong reasons. You have to have the right motives. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give him and he will upbraideth not. So God longs to give us that if we ask. But then it says, but if you ask with wrong motives, don't expect to receive. So we have to have a purity of heart. There has to be, uh, the reason we're crying out for wisdom has to be the right reason. And if our desire is so that we can look smart, God will withhold it while he purifies our heart. Because he can't give it to us for the wrong reasons. God's not going to endorse wrong motives. Purity of heart is a huge issue. John chapter 7, Jesus was asked by the teachers of the law, where did you get such wisdom? And his answer was so interesting. He said, I came not to please myself, but the one who sent me. And I'm sure when he, they said, when he said that to them, they're thinking, "What, Jesus, we're, we're not interested in your motives for learning. We want to know your source. And Jesus was saying, you don't understand. My source, the secret of my source is my motives. Because I came to seek, I, I came to glorify the, ones who, the one who sent me. James rides in on that same principle and puts it this way. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Purity in the New Testament is not so much, it's not so much talking about, we use that term today in the American church. Usually when someone's talking about purity, they're talking about sexual or moral purity. The New Testament is more talking about the motives of our heart. Do I want this so I can, I can uh, push forward my own agenda? And God will withhold that from us until we've purified our heart. And so these things are very, very important. And these are the foundations of Heartland culture. But it, I, I believe they're the foundations of a healthy Christian life. And so when we talk about presence, purpose, power, uh, presence, purpose, passion, power, and principle, each one of these progressively build on one another. And the one I want to talk about this morning, oh my goodness, it's late. I want to talk about purpose. Presence, when we discover who God is, when we have encounters with him, the one thing that's going to happen is God's going to begin to edit your view of him. And we need that. I, I was just talking to uh, a group upstairs at the, the uh, 
newcomers at nine, and we were talking about uh, some of our backgrounds, and, and they were saying that, that they had come from a legalistic church, and a uh, matter of fact, I was talking to two different groups, they were t- saying that, and we were talking about how when you feel like God's condemning you, you don't have a desire to be intimate with him. It's like snuggling up to a porcupine. Who wants to do that? You don't want to cuddle a porcupine. And if God's attitude towards you is disappointment, if God's always looking at you and he's mildly irritated, if the father's up there clicking his fingers on the throne thinking, oh man, Jesus went and bought him and now I'm stuck with him. You know, Jesus bought humanity by his death and Tave was part of the package deal. If that's really how you perceive God's heart towards you, you are not going to be drawn into his presence. Whether you're consciously aware of it or not, you're going to avoid God's presence. And so what we need is to be renewed in our minds to see God for who he is. And I'm telling you, the Christian life is a lifelong process of God revealing his nature to us. His great faithfulness to us so that we can place our faith in his faithfulness. Faith is not something that we conjure up. It's not something that we white knuckle and try to produce. It comes out of a revelation of who he really is. And so we need to ask him, God, show me you for who you are. Lord, renew my mind. I need to see you and for who you really are because to know him is to love him. When you see him for who he is, you can't but help surrender your life to him. And the fact that Every one of us in this room have struggled at times with surrender when God gives us a new, uh, uh, some new thing he's dealing with us on and, and we're hesitant to surrender that area. That lack of surrender is always rooted in a false perception of who he is. And so anytime we're struggling, what we need to say is, God, Lord, I'm asking you to renew my mind and give me a right perspective on who you are. Because when we see him for who he is, and and I would propose to you, just real quick here, three elements of God's character. That number one, God is all wise. God knows what's best for you. And so when we, we start to waver, oh man, Lord, I don't know if I surrender to you. I don't know if you really know what's best. What? That's one of the things the enemy attacks. But God is all wise. He knows what's best for you. Number two, he's all powerful. He's able to pull it off. God is able to move heaven and earth to get you where you need to go. But number three, God is all loving. God not only knows what's best, has the power to pull it off, God wants what's best for you. That is his utmost desire. Matter of fact, God knows what's best for you. God knows what you really want even when you don't. I remember coming to that realization as a young believer. And so I would, when, when I would struggle, I'd feel like the Lord was calling me to do something. I'd say, God, Lord, help me because I'm siding with you against me because I know you know what I want more than I do. I think I want that. But you've already told me it's not your will, either in your word or you've revealed that to me. And Lord, I must be deceived in some area because I think I want that. And let me just tell you, I proved it a number of times that God did know what I really wanted. And when I thought I wanted that thing and I got it against God's will, I didn't want that thing. Then I'm crying out, God, deliver me of this thing I thought I wanted and I don't want. So God knows what you want. God knows your, that's why he says that he can give you the desires of your heart. Matter of fact, I would propose to you the desires, the real desires of your heart are an indication of your calling. I haven't preached on this in quite a while, but let me, I've got a few minutes. Okay. Okay. You could put it this way. Temptation is destiny wrapped in a shortcut. Let me say it again. Temptation is destiny wrapped in a shortcut. You look at what God said, or what the enemy rather said to Adam and Eve. If you eat of this fruit, you shall be like God. You know why that was tempting? Because what he was really doing is speaking to their ultimate destiny. 
That wasn't the forbidden element of the fruit. It was skipping the process to get there that was the forbidden element. We were created in God's image. We marred that image through sin. So Jesus came and took on the took on the form of a man made in God's image. And he completed that image by fulfilling every purpose that God had for man. He, he, he fulfilled the purpose of God for man. And now the scripture says, be conformed to the image of Christ, who it also says is the, perf- is the uh, perfect representation of the Godhead in bodily form. You are called to be like God. That is your calling. You are called to be transformed into his image. That The forbidden element of that was trying to get it in a shortcut. Look at it with Jesus. When, when uh, Jesus was being enticed by the enemy, he said to the, the devil, the serpent said to Jesus, if you worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. What does Jesus have today? He's in the process of bringing everything under his feet. And every kingdom of this world should be laid at his feet. What the enemy was doing was speaking to his destiny. But he was offering it to him in a shortcut. And the reason that's dangerous is if you seize your destiny through a shortcut, you will not be the person qualified to steward it. If you are, There's this interesting verse in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has prepared works in advance so that you can walk in them. In other words, there's already, there's already a job waiting for you to do it in the future. There's a God-shaped hole in human history, or a U-shaped hole, rather, in human history waiting for you to arrive. And the tragedy is that sometimes we arrive at our future unqualified to be the person to fulfill that because we skip the process. And so it's through the process of God dealing with us that he brings out who we're called to be so that we can fulfill the purposes of God. And the greatest way for you to glorify God is to manifest the measure of who he is that you are called to manifest through your maturity. When scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what it's talking about is you've fallen short of the manifestation that you are to carry of who he is to the human race and to human history. Jonathan Edwards, anybody ever heard of him? He was the first president of Princeton Seminary and was the leader, arguably the primary leader of the First Great Awakening. He was a great philosopher as well as a great theologian. He said this. He said, grace is glory begun. Glory is grace consummated or completed. In other words, God gives us grace to begin on this journey. He deposits the glory within us. But as we grow, we're to glorify him and, being, and falling short of the glory is falling short of the manifestation that we're to bring to the human race. There is an element of God's nature and character and truth that he wants to bring through your life. But we've got to cooperate with that process. And what the enemy will do is he will entice us to get into things that are actually God's will, but prematurely so. When somebody, when a single individual is, is tempted with sexual immorality, it's not because God has said, it's never my will for you to be invo- have a sexual relationship. It's just, it's premature. God wants you to have it within the context in which he appointed it to you. And your single years are in actuality the season of your life that are to prepare you to be a married individual and handle this awesome, powerful, and dangerous thing called sexual intimacy. And so as we go through our single years, it's gonna, produce, it's gonna prepare us for that relationship in marriage. But if you just jump to that, this, this powerful, potent thing called sexual intimacy will actually destroy you. It's been said that it's like fire. You keep it, there's a context for that fire, the fireplace. And it'll keep you warm, it's a nice thing.
And there's a context for sexual intimacy. It's called marriage between two very committed individuals who are in it till death do us part. And when it's there, it's a beautiful thing. And when it gets outside of that, it's dangerous. And so it's part of God's design. And so when the enemy entices people, it's that he entices them into getting there through a shortcut. And so we need to understand that when God calls us to greater things, the enemy will come along and try to get you to enter into what God has called you to through shortcuts, and it will disqualify you from stewarding. You will be forced, at best, to come down to a lower level and not be able to steward it at the level that God had for you. So God has a purpose for our life. And that purpose is discovered in his presence. When we see God for who he is, the, se- the, the, the secondary thing, we're going to begin to see him for who he is. It's going to cause a surrender in our heart because when we see him for who he is, we want to give our life to him. We would be insane not to surrender our life to a God who knows what's best, wants what's best, and is able to pull it off. The second thing we begin to see is we begin to see ourselves accurately. And this is where purpose comes in. When we are severed from God, when we try to define ourselves separate from God, we will come up short. We will sell ourselves short. This is one of the reasons why inner healing, uh, freedom ministries, uh, dealing with our past is so crucial. Because what the enemy has done for your entire life, he has strategized to wound you and cause you to reject yourself. C.S. Lewis talked about us walking alongside ourselves. And what he was talking about is that we stand on the outside. We, we can't live from the center. We can't be who we are and live life with passion. We stand on the outside and we're our own worst critic. We're critiquing everything we do. And when we do that, that self-rejection will keep us from entering into our destiny. You can't become who you're called to be until you own who you're called to be. And there's two portions of that. There's there's self-rejection, but there's also ignorance that the enemy has uh, created a definition of who we are that God wants to unravel. If there's two prayers that you pray, you need to pray. God, show me you for who you really are. And secondly, Lord, show me who, me for who I really am. Because that's the foundation of everything else. And when you see who God is, all of a sudden, purpose is ignited in your life. You begin to get in touch with what you were made for. And when you adopt another persona out of self-rejection, when you try to be something you're not called to be, or you try to prematurely step into your destiny without going through the process, when that happens, you end up forfeiting what God has for your life. You can't be who you're called to be. At best, you will be a frustrated individual. You'll have these raging desires, but you don't know how to fulfill it. And so we need God to define who we are, and that's where we discover our purpose. Years ago, I was watching uh, Antiques Roadshow. Anybody watch that? Is, is it, that thing still on? I, I was watching the Antiques Roadshow, and, and uh, this guy comes on, and uh, you know how they have the appraiser, he's sitting there in his chair, and all of a sudden it pans to this guy, and he has this sword sitting on this little stand. And I said, tell me about your sword. And he said, well, when I was a little kid, our neighbor had it uh, hanging in his garage and he gave it to us. He said, man, we used to play, you know, pirates with it. And he said, what we used to do a lot with it is cut watermelons. We'd put them on there, you know, cut the watermelons. And he said, it's been in our family for years. Matter of fact, it's been hanging in the garage and I was going to sell it in a a rummage sale, a garage sale. But then I heard you guys are coming to town. I thought, hey, I might, might as well have them look at it. And the appraiser just listened to him talk about this sword. And then when he was done, the appraiser handed him a pair of gloves. He said, never touch the blade with your bare hands. Because the oil in your skin could cause it to deteriorate. And that was the first clue the guy thought, I probably shouldn't be cutting watermelons. (laughs) Then the appraiser puts on his own little rubber gloves and he picks it up. And he begins to describe what this sword really is. He said, this is a civil war era sword. 
It's a Confederate officer sword. He said, matter of fact, this would have never seen action because this is a highly prized parade sword. Notice all the filigree on here and all the carvings. He said this was a parade sword that would have been worn on the, the side of a very high-ranking military officer. This is a very valuable sword. He said, in fact, I figure it's probably worth today about $20,000. Now, this was about 25 years ago. I don't know what it's worth today. But you could see the look on this guy's face. He's like, oh my goodness, I've been cutting watermelons. He about sold it in a garage sale. And as I was watching that, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, that's how my children operate. Because we don't realize our value. We don't realize our purpose. We look at our design. Well, you know, I got a blade. I, I guess I could cut watermelons. Never realizing the lofty purpose for which he made us. And when we don't realize why we're made, we end up using ourselves for things so beneath us. Parade swords become watermelon cutters. And I love that, that picture of the appraiser. I love that word. Think about that. God is our appraiser. He knows our true value. And he is the one who defines us. And that watermelon cutter that was carried in, in the mind of that guy, was probably worth 20 bucks. It was carried out as a valuable parade sword because the appraiser had placed new value upon it. And we need to be a people who get into God's presence, not just to encounter him, but because we want to glorify him, we've got to discover who we are in his presence. And when we discover who he is and who we are in relationship with him, it will ignite purpose, which will demand, will create passion in your life. When you really understand your purpose, there's a passion ignited and you say, I'm willing to sacrifice to get there. I realize there's a sense of destiny on my life that I was created for such a time as this in human history. And then power is not optional. Suddenly we're saying, man, I've got to have power on my life. Not fulfilling my destiny is not an option. There's this heart cry. There's a, a, a hunger that begins to erupt within us to get in his word. Lord, I want to partner with heaven. I've got to understand what you're doing. So I'm telling you that this foundation of God's presence and seeing him for who he is and then understanding our purpose, understanding who we really are. Why did God make you the way he made you? There are things about you that are very, very unique that God wants to unleash. But some of you still struggle with self-rejection. Some of you minimize your strengths because they come so naturally to you, you don't realize what a treasure they are. And God wants to begin to speak over you. You need to be asking the Lord, Lord, who do you say that I am? Remember how Jesus said that to Peter? That is the conversation you need to have with God. It's the most important question you'll ever answer. God says to you, who do you say that I am? Because your eternal destiny hinges on your answer to that question. The fruitfulness of your life hinges on your answer to that question. But it's also the most important question you'll ever ask. And you get in God's face and say, God, and who do you say that I am? Lord, I need you to define me. And the Lord wants to speak over you and begin to tell you who you really are. Because when you discover who you really are, it will change how you live. Much of the sin problem in many believers' lives is because they're bored with life. They don't realize who they really are. And so they're easily enticed with these minor, these, these side distractions, these piddly little things. But when you see God for who he really is and you begun to understand who God really made you to be, those things won't have a pull on you anymore because you'll want to fulfill the purpose for which you were made. The last time Dean Briggs was here, he told about a prophetic friend of his 
that was taken into heaven by a, an angel in a vision or a dream. I don't know which it was. And he said he took him into the archive room of heaven. It was this huge room with acres of volumes. And the angel took him over to a bookcase and he showed him there were two volumes for every human soul. There was a large volume and a thin one. And his friend said to the angel, why are there two volumes? And the angel pulled off the big volume. He said, this is what God invites every person to believe for. And then he pulled off the thin volume and he said, and this is what most end up believing for. We need to see ourselves for who we are. God is inviting us into bigger things. But we need a revelation of him and of ourselves. And that's where a sense of purpose, a sense of destiny that will actually harness you. Go ahead and stand so you know I'm going to quit. Proverbs says this, without a vision, the people what? Perish. You know what the NIV says? Without a revelation, the people cast off restraint. The, the restrained lifestyle of a disciple is the result of having a vision for your life. But it's not a vision that you create. It's a vision that you discover. You uncover the destiny, the purpose, what God has wired you to be. And as you realize that, there's this passion that's ignited, a passion that is willing to be harnessed and to deny itself for greater things. There's some of you this morning that you, you're struggling with besetting sin. You find yourself being falling into the same old let me just say it, I love you, stupid things. I've been there, okay? The same old stupid things, why? Because you don't have a bigger vision for your life. You don't realize that you are a parade sword to be paraded on the side of the Lord, that he's gonna show you off and do great things with your life. So you're, you're out there, the watermelon cutting of sin, being used for much lesser things. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you just brood over us. And I'm going to ask that every eye be closed. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I struggle with besetting sin. There's some things in my life that it seems like it's just cyclical. I keep falling into it. And I recognize this morning that what you're talking about is me. I'm not going to ask you to come forward on this. But I want you to make that acknowledgement. You're saying, Pastor, I know that's me. And I want to break this thing. I want you to raise your hand. Yeah, all over the room. Father, I thank you for these hands that have been raised. Lord, we're asking for a fresh revelation, not only of who you are, but of who we are. Lord, we want to glorify you. We want to be the person you created us to be. We don't want to rob you of your glory by living beneath our inheritance, living beneath our purpose. Father, we're asking that at the end of the age, when we stand before you and give an answer for our life, that you pull out the big volume and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give. 